Good morning, City Life. Good morning, Church. Good morning, friends and family, visitors, people, wherever you are listening. Thank you for joining us. We're so happy that you're here worshiping with us today. Um, so happy that during this whole process, I've been praying for our church. A lot of people have praying for our, have been praying for our church, and the unity and the oneness that we see has just honestly blown me away and I pray that that continues. Remember that we are a church that God has given us as a vision to f help people find home, that they find their home in Jersey City and in mostly in God, more importantly in God, for us to encounter Jesus together because when we encounter Jesus uh, we find life and we go from death into light, we go from darkness into light. And also, uh, the pursue gospel change together. That this calling that we have extends to help everyone around us is a powerful calling. Nothing has changed about that calling. City Life, thank you for supporting one another, for being an emotional support, for a financial support, a burden support, in all the ways that we are still called to be. Let's go. When I pray for our church, the, the comment that always comes to mind is, we're going places. Let's go for it together. Nothing has changed in this season. And so um, from my pastoral heart to all of you guys, thank you. And let's continue to run this race with one another. In fact, that's a lot of what we're talking about today. Let's start with a story. Uh, I often get to share stories of times in my life where I just, where God put me in a situation and sometimes I... I did not get in the way, but so many times I get in the way of what God is doing, and in the moment, it is the worst thing ever, but looking back into it, I can usually laugh about it. And uh, so let's start off with one of those stories today. A couple years ago with my old uh, church, shout out to Risen King, we, a couple of us went down to Columbia for a short time's mission trip, and I remember praying for this one kid. We had a worship night one night, and I prayed for this one kid in Portuguese, and close enough that he could understand what I was saying. And as I was praying, like I, I really felt God moving and, and God visibly was impacting him and he was being moved. And then I had my hand on his, on his chest to pray for him, this young guy. And then all of a sudden, I was praying and praying and praying and I felt him start to fall. And we are part of a church and a denomination that believes in the gifts of the Spirit, that believes that God can do things that might seem weird to us or not make sense to us and in the moment I just my reflexes took over and as I felt him fall I caught him with my other hand and I remember thinking in the moment like oh no <laughs> what have I done was God actually doing something did I get in the way and then and then I was like oh haha we laughed it off and then I went to go pray for him and we just the moment was ruined I ruined it like I do from time to time I we prayed a little bit more but nothing was really hitting especially not in the way it was before and I just felt so funny, like, oh, did I get in the way of this kid's prayer? And man, I think about that story too, and I cringe sometimes. And I also think about um, our prayer efforts as a church right now, and in this season, and the work that God is doing in our, in our life around prayer. You know, as we pray for healing, I've realized and noticed something going on in my heart. I've noticed that when I'm praying that I believe God can do it 100%, but there's always this small part of me in my head saying, Pedro, you've prayed for people before and you've never seen it for yourself with your own eyes. You haven't seen people being physically healed yet. Don't put all your eggs into that basket. You know, 
pray for healing, yes, but also pray for something else that might seem like, okay, you're still getting what you want. And I've been repenting of that this week. This message for this week has helped me to repent from this, from this attitude of not diving in 100%. You know, actually, the, what we're talking about this week, our big idea for this whole week, if you, if you leave here and you hear nothing else, hear that we have this faith that causes us to be living like we truly believe, to be living like we truly believe in this word, in this story, in this narrative, and what this God can do, and what Jesus has done. What would happen if we lived like we truly believed? What would happen if we prayed like we really What would happen if we had this community amongst ourselves, and we lived like we actually believed? What would happen? How would we change? How would Jersey City change? How would the world change? What would happen if, if we were really living like we truly believed? And so let's jump to God's Word, because God's Word is much better than anything anyone else has to say. And we're going to be we're gonna be in Mark chapter 11. We're starting in verse 11 today. And so God's Word says this, And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple, and when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season of figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And, the, and his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple, and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when the evening came... They went out of the city. And as they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered him, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, that does not doubt in his heart, but believes in what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive your you your trespasses. Powerful story. Let's pray together so that we can go into this uh, Holy Spirit empowered and let Him lead the way. Jesus, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for gathering us, Lord. I thank you for keeping us. I thank you that we have the privilege of doing this one more week, Lord. Thank you for that privilege. Thank you that you're with us, that you're empowering us, Lord. I pray that you would help us to unlock so much truth out of this text today, that it would change the way that we believed, the way that we lived, that our lives, if somebody looked at it from the outside, would say, yeah, there's something different about this life because it looks so different. Lord, be speaking to our hearts and our souls today. Be speaking to our minds. 
Go to ev- go minister to every part of us so that we come out living like we believe in who you are and what you can do. Lord, you are astonishing. Help us to be so passionate about you this week like never before. And that this would mark the season, would mark a difference between how we came into this quarantine and how we're leaving it. Lord, we believe that you can do all of this and much more. I pray all of these things in Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, please be empowering us today to receive your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, again, guys, this is an amazing story. I love this story so much. It has always meant a lot to me, but in this week, and diving it in at it in a different angle, I feel like it's come alive to me in a way that it has never before. Right here, we're dealing with what we've talked about a couple of times now, it's a classic Mark information sandwich. You know, three teachings, giving in three different settings at three slightly different times. And then a conclusion that seems to come out of nowhere, seems like is just thrown in there for fun. So that's what we're dealing with today. We have a cursing, we have a whipping, and then it's concluded by a dead tree and a commentary on prayer. What a, what a weird sandwich to have been given. I'm pretty sure no one of us would have ordered this at our local deli. But it's the one that we have and it actually is one that paints such a beautiful, powerful picture of what life looks like when we know who Jesus is. When we let him speak into our lives and change the way that we live and pray and act with one another. And so let's dive into this let's dive into this word. The first section that we're talking about is fig season. Let's read these couple of verses really quickly, starting at 11 down to 14. It says, "And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple, and when he looked around at, around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. On the following day, when he came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Alright, so if you're paying attention, if you actually are reading this, if, if you're in with us, or anytime you read this, you should have an obvious question right off the bat of what is going on here, something that signifies to us that there's something much deeper happening here than, than just the obvious or the surface. And so I have, a, I have a lot of questions right off the bat. It's like, why does Jesus get so mad at this tree? It says that he's hungry, but is he more than hungry? Is he just hangry? Does Jesus really just need a Snickers bar right now? Has, has Jesus woken up on the wrong side of the bed today? Does our Messiah even have bad days? Is he that much like you and me where he's just, you know, some days he's cranky and you don't know what you're going to get? Now, is our Savior over here cursing every tree along the way that he doesn't find any fruit on? Is at the end of Jesus' resurrection we just see dead trees all over Israel? Or, or was there something more than this? You know, is the gospel really about killing trees? Should we be deforesting the world every time a tree has no fruit on it, even though in verse 13 it specifically tells us that it was not the season for figs? Fun fact really quick, a nerdy nugget. Uh, the, the fig season ripened in June, and our story here takes place 
around the Passover, which we know is always around mid-April. And so, what's going on here? You know, what's the deeper thing happening here? I'm pretty sure after this study, after all these hours of studying I put in this week and a couple of months ago into this passage, I'm about 97% sure that the gospel and God's story is not pro-deforestation. You know, there's a missing ingredient here. There's actually two missing ingredients for us to see what Jesus is really doing here. If we're talking about our sandwich, there are two things on the first level of our sandwich that we just need to understand. And the first one is something called the tash, tash, hard word to say, and then the imagery here. You see, uh, let me educate you a little bit about the intricacies of a fig tree is a sentence that I never thought I would go to seminary to say. But a few months before fig season really started, before June, that makes sense of where we are here, that all fig trees would produce a knot, an edible knot. You could eat it, it wasn't great, but you could eat it. And this was called the taksh. And the taksh was super important because it showed the farmers, it showed anyone who had a fig tree, which tree would produce fruit that year. No tach, no figs. And that's how it happened every year. Before the season came, if there were signs of fruit or signs of coming fruit, there would be fruit. And so, right here, that breathes some life into this story. This tree should have been producing something, some signs of life, some signs of fruit, but it had none. In the time where fruit should be in the beginning stages, there was nothing. This tree was barren. But then it's so much more than this. You see, Jesus here is acting prophetically. He's acting powerfully in a way that might not be obvious to you and to me. And so I want us to have a a quick, brief discussion on something called civil religion. You see, civil religion, I'm a sociology major. That's what I did undergrad. And so I find this to be so fascinating. Civil religion is is this process in which a, a people group or a group of people is, is made to believe that they are one people through shared stories or shared rituals. You know, it is so important for all of us who have, are so different. How are we together? Civil religion is, is what gives groups of people or countries or ethnic groups this one story. Oh, we actually belong together because in some level God has put us together. You know, we, we have this one shared identity, this one shared ideal. And that's what civil religion does. It's this powerful thing that unites so many people under one banner. You know, if I go to any room or most rooms in the country, uh, and if I start chanting USA, 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 in a couple of minutes, I can guarantee you that most people in the room will be chanting with me, even though they had nothing to do with this. And it's because nobody ever wants to be the one in the room to not be chanting USA, to not be the patriotic one. And so this civil religion that we all have as a people, oh, we're Americans or wherever you were born or wherever you uh, make your home, it's this thing that that unites us all. And it's called the religion because it's the standards and, and morals of what we live by and what we say that we're all about. You know, I'm not here to talk about if if this is good or not, or even American civil religion. Um, But I'm just here to say that it is a powerful thing. It's something that when we understand about Israel and about the world that Jesus 
was born into, it makes so much sense. You see, because the civil religion of Jesus' day, what made someone from Israel, someone from Israel, what made them an insider, what made them one people that God ordained to be together, that he took them out of slavery and out of the desert and gave them this land and promised them that they would be a special person. It had many circles around it. And the closer and closer you got to the heart of what made Israel really, really Israel was the temple. And the reason why this comes into play is because the fig tree was one of the central signs of the temple. You see, the, the further out of the society you were and the closer you came into, you'd be like, okay, Israel nation. Okay, Jerusalem was a big gem. And then in Jerusalem, oh, the epicenter is the temple. And that's because the temple was, as a friend of mine says, the temple is God's mailing address here on planet Earth. It was the one place where God told them, you know, you are my people and I am going to physically dwell here with you. My feet will touch the ground of this planet somewhere and it'll be in this temple that you build me. And so here, we're going to dive into this a little bit later on, but we have to build this imagery right now. That the temple was so crucial to not just worship, but who, what it meant to be from Israel or God's chosen people. You see, all of Israel was built around this one hill, this mountain in Jerusalem. And at the heart of this city was this place that God promised that his spirit would dwell in. You know, God's physical address here on this planet. And so let's, let's, we've got that layer of the sandwich down. Let's move to the second. Let's talk about this UFC Jesus. So now that we have this imagery in place, we, we know that Jesus is doing such, something much more than just talking to some random tree somewhere in Israel, somewhere near Bethany in Jerusalem. Let, let's see what Jesus does from there. How does this imagery increase? And so we see here in verse 15 to 19, the story continues. The middle part of our sandwich, where all the meat and the goodness is, says this. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. He was, and he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. So again, questions come to mind. The first one being, hey, by this point, someone should have given Jesus a Snickers or a snack because his, his bad day just seems to be getting worse. He's not just hangry anymore, but now he's actually going after people, uh, which, is, which is pretty uh, incredible. And not this picture of this loving, gentle, humble, meek Jesus, not the lamb Jesus, but we see the ferocious lion Jesus. And so why did no one step in here? So let me recap his day so far. He wakes up in Bethany. He's on the way to Jerusalem. He sees a tree on the way who should be producing something, and it doesn't, so he curses it. And then on the way, 
peaceful Jesus, this donkey-mounted Jesus like we just saw in this story before, is all of a sudden apart on some full-out insurrection in the temple, in the holiest place that they believed there was in the entire world. And Jesus' day seems to be going from bad to even worse. But you know what? I thank God for passages like Colossians that talk about how Jesus is the embodiment, that all of what God was rested in Jesus, all of his character and qualities and everything that God was about, Jesus was about. And so I thank God that this story is in our Holy Scripture, that our Savior, that the Messiah of all creation, that he is not okay with false religion and that he is not okay with injustice. That when God came down from heaven, he wasn't okay with all of the bad things that are going on, all of the things that we do to one another, and also all of the things that we lie about God. So when, when people come to you in your life who do not know the Lord or are opposing the Lord or make the decision to not believe in him, and when they come and ask you questions about uh, why God says he will judge and what, why can, how can God be good in with all of this evil around? Or what about, like, how does this work? How can we be about being God's people and then still not being perfect? And you point them to this story because we see this God man, Jesus, who was not okay with what was happening, was not okay with what people did to God's house, God's address, and what we did to one another. Even even in the gospel uh, in John, in chapter 2, it talks that Jesus was so heated, that he was so passionate about this, that he even formed a, a whip out of cords. And we see, the, okay, Jesus, what is going on here? This is not like you. What's going on? Are you really just being hangry? Like, that is a legitimate question that we, need, that we can ask ourselves here. Jesus, are you just, are you sinning like us when we get angry? Or are you being outrageous right now? Should you have just gotten a break? And th this is the new thing that I received in, this, in my study of this this week. A couple months ago, we covered this in our MCs, and I, and I didn't see it there. I read about it this week, and it just, to me, adds so much more to this whole story. And it's this idea of the den of rubbers. Let's read uh, verse 17 again. Verse 17 says this. It's Jesus' response while he's doing all of this. As he's overturning the tables, as he is uh, kicking the seats of everyone who uh, sold pigeons, and as he was not letting everyone callously just uh, break all of the rules that God had given them and walk with all their luggage through the temple to just save some time, he says this, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. So he, this is a big idea for us today. Not the main idea, but a big idea. That false religion, fake religion, is like, going to, is like going to a holy place and making it a hideout for your sin. So that when, when we make religion out of believing in Jesus, when we ourselves in our own hearts build these walls and tell God what he is and how he can act and make our own religion, we, tell, we give God the rules instead of him doing that to us, it's like we are evicting God from his rightful place. And then at some point noticing, not even noticing, that we've been praying and we've been living and that God's not there anymore. We are evicting God from his home. 
from his righteous place and not even noticing that God isn't with us anymore. Now, let, let's let that sink in for a moment. We're going to dive into this a little bit more, but let's let that sink in. What we're really doing when we're practicing fake religion. Now, how, how sad would it be if in a couple of years we realize, you know what, we as a church haven't seen God do anything in a long time. Or it's like, oh, we've been doing church for this long and we never realized that the Holy Spirit didn't come to us anymore. Or we never realized that our prayers weren't being answered or that we weren't providing for one another. You know, how sad would it be if we wasted years of our lives thinking God was with us, but we had kicked him out long before? Now, as a church, we talk about this often because we never want to fall asleep behind the wheel. We never want to realize that our church, we, we just don't know where God is anymore because it's important. Because fake religion is so enticing. But we never want that. We want to be attached to the one who's living. The one who tells us, who confronts us, who teaches us about how the world works and not the other way around. You know, I, I hope you realize, I hope your Bible, you saw in your Bible that we started uh, one verse too early. We didn't start where most of our Bibles break off, the cursing of the fig tree, but we actually started in the section called the triumphal entry. If you remember, we talked about the triumphal entry a couple of weeks ago. It's when Jesus gets on a donkey. He's the humble king. He's fulfilling prophecy here from the Old Testament. He's showing to everyone. He's telling to everyone. He's communicating to everyone. I am the Messiah, and I'm coming to do what I have to do. And people are shouting Hosanna, and they're taking off their coats and putting it on the ground, and they're doing all of these displays. And then it has this heightened story, this special story. It has one of the most bizarre endings in any story of the New Testament. It, and it ends like this. People are saying, Hosanna, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And then in verse 11 it says, And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, it was already late. He went out to Bethany with the twelve. I love this detail that Mark puts in here. I love because it communicates to you and to me that, yes, that our God is still this God who is slow to anger, that Jesus this day was not just being hangry, that he was not being unreasonable, but that he had been to the temple and he looked around and he, you know what, he went home, he slept on it, he let it ruminate, he let it wash over him, that his people were lost and that he needed to do something about this, that Jesus saw the injustice that he saw the fake religion that, that everyone had made his house to be. That it was not a house of prayer for all nations, for the entire world, not just for Israel, but for everyone, and for men and for women. And he was not okay with that. That Jesus and God will never feel our idolatry, will never feel the fake things that we make about him, the things that we tell him he has to be about. Jesus will never do that. But he took it in. And he came back with a passion. He came back with righteousness on his side. And he cleaned the temple is what this story is usually called. That Jesus cleaned the temple of all of the things that we put into his house. You know, and it's this idea of this den of robbers that to me has meant so much to me this week because 
a den of rob a den is somewhere that you go and make your own home you put your stuff in your den you go it might be your man cave or your she shed like that commercial says um and you make it your home it no longer belongs to the lord but it's something that you claim for yourself and you put in all the fact that we would ever bring our sin and hide in god's house with it is just utterly shocking that's what fake religion is and that's why it is so dangerous and scary that's why we realize at some point that oh we are spiritually dead and we are not alive that's the problem and that's why fake religion is so deadly you know jesus wasn't just hangry on this day this was not a day that jesus woke up on the wrong side of the bed but that ultimately he's showing us that no one will profit off of him no one will profit off of his presence that fake religion will never serve anyone it only leads to death and destruction and god does not support that in any way you know jesus in this sense that he violently opposed those who turn genuine worship into business now here we're not told that jesus is beating people or that he's going after people but he is disrupting everything that is going on to the point where it is not happening anymore now i pray that any time in any area of our life that we are need to be disrupted jesus disrupt us disrupt our church don't let us settle don't let us t- exchange you the living god for anything that's dead or anything that we want well, what a powerful lesson here that shows jesus's commitment to his righteousness commitment to those who actually want to seek him in truth commitment to everything that he has always promised to be about about life and not death and so our last section the section our last piece our last layer to this sandwich is just dead prayer but read with me again in verse 20 and they passed by in the morning they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots and peter remembered and said to him rabbi look the fig tree that you curse has withered and jesus answered him have faith in god truly i say to you whoever says whoever says to this mountain be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart believes that but believes that what he says will come to pass it will be done for him therefore i tell you whatever you ask in prayer believe that you have received it and it will be yours and whenever you stand praying forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses i i pray that the imagery that we've been talking about the the civil religion has sucked in sunk in and that we see how this fig tree plays into the temple which plays into this section but jesus here we see that then when they see the tree we see that when jesus pronounces death over something nothing stays there there's no life no signs of life at all this tree that was beautiful and uh leaved the day before if that's even a word on the very next day is dead to its roots see this is powerful commentary of what jesus has to say about fake religion what the outcome of fake religion is is that there's just no life in there and that these collection of three stories come together to say hey hey are you, do you want to find god do you want to live in truth truth 
Do you want to live in God's presence? Well, you know what? You don't need this temple. You know, in fact, Jesus continues that. He switches to a different metaphor. He starts talking about, he says, Whoever says to this mountain, be taken up into this thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. You know, we think in Scripture all the times that mountains have played into God's story. That mountains represent this place where you go up and it's just you and God, and that you're physically maybe closer to God. That's just the metaphor, it's the image. We think about all the things that happened in mountains. You know, Moses finding God up there, seeing his backside. We talked about that weeks ago. We see that uh, Noah's ark landed on a mountain after the flood. That Jesus transfigured himself in front of Peter, James, and John on a mountain. That Elijah and Moses were both there. We see Jesus die on the cross. That The cross happened on a hill. Then we talk about other images like Mount Zion, which was Jerusalem. And this, and this temple at the center of it all that was up on this mountain. And, then, and God uses this. But I know what you might be asking. You're saying to yourself, I know this is what you're saying, almost word for word verbatim. He said, Pedro, we already talked about how God's story is pro-forest. Are you now telling us that God is anti-mountain? And my answer is, you know, kind of, because of passages that happen in Scripture, like Isaiah 40, verse 4, that says, Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. And it's this beautiful picture here that we see highlighted so perfectly in this story. That Jesus is saying, you know what, you don't need this temple you know what? You can actually pray for this mountain. You can pray for Jerusalem and, and temple, my holy city, the city that my, pre- my father's presence dwelt in for so long. You can actually pray for this city to be destroyed, to go into, be thrown into the sea. And you know what? You will still be able to find me because it's not about this temple and it's not about this city. But I came down here for you so that I could be found by you and be with you and be near you and die in the process and gain, pay the debt that you couldn't. And you know what? I actually send you the Holy Spirit so that no longer do you need to go to a building, but you can have me in your heart, in your soul. So Jesus here saying, you know what? You don't need a building to find me. You, need, you don't need to go to the temple. You know, the church is my temple. You are my temple. Where two or three are gathered, I am there with you. We don't have to complicate this more than it has to be. That God promises that he will be with us. That the narrative story is that God, we separated ourselves from God, but God came down himself and paid the price to bring us back to him. See, we don't need a building. We don't need a big budget. We don't need fog machines, though they're awesome. We need King Jesus, and we need each other. We need the Holy Spirit to come and to dwell us, to change our very natures, to make us into new creatures, to give us new hearts, all of the promises. But we have access to all of that because Jesus came and made every high place low and every low place high. You know, 
I naturally, and all pastors naturally want to give a note here, you know, be like, oh, you know what, you, you have to, when you pray, you have to, you get what you want when you're praying the right things or when you're aligned to God's will and then you pray those things and those happen because God won't feel anything that does not belong to him. And I naturally want to put that in there. I'd be like, hey, City Life, we got to pray, we got to pray, uh, but I, let me caution you a little bit or let's pray for this and not for that. And though scripture affirms that in other parts, here in Jesus' account, here in his words, he doesn't put in those warnings. He says, you know what, if you live passionately for me, if you live 100% sold out for me, if all of what you are, if all of your being is in me, and you pray, you know, you're going to pray the right things and, I, and it's going to be given to you. That if your faith is matched by this life that you live wholeheartedly for Jesus and passionately for Jesus, if you know scripture and you act scripture and you do scripture all the time, if we as a community and as a church live like we belong to the Savior of all the universe, then we would be different. We would look different. Life would be different. I love how Jesus doesn't um, hamper his message here. I, I love it. Jesus, he also talks here about forgiveness, which we cannot ignore here. We cannot leave today without talking about prayer and forgiveness. You know, prayer has been such an a important lesson of what God has been doing in my life in this season, and I think in, this, in the life of our church. You know, we've started this three times a week prayer call. And at first it was really heavily attended and it was great and God was moving and, and it's died a little bit in terms of attendance now, which is not the big deal. But I think what we're being exposed to is our hearts in prayers, our hearts with living for one another. Oh, that, that if we just understood that we didn't need a church building, that we didn't need this or that. That if we lived our life with God, Jesus in our hearts, with the Holy Spirit empowering us to pray and to live with one another, that if we even forgave one another so that God could forgive us, because God forgives us, then everything would look different. Then our lives would feel different. Then people outside would look at the church and be like, you know what, there's, there's something there. There's something different there. When we pray, do we pray like we believe that Jesus is alive? Do we pray and live our lives like this matters, that we're going somewhere? Do we, do we live like we really believe this is the question that I keep on coming to this week. Do I, do we as a church, this is the capital C church, and so let, let's, let's close up our sandwich. Let's, let's conclude this in some way that might make sense. A lot of people have a lot of opinions about the capital C church in the world, domestically, locally. You know, a, a lot of what people think is just wrong or comes out of wound, wounds from the past or things that happened to them. And a, a lot of those opinions are, have also been very well well earned by the church. We have earned those criticisms. Now if only we would 
take this heart, the lesson to heart. That Jesus came down so that we didn't need to go to the temple, but that you and me and us together, we have full access to the Holy Spirit. We don't need to go to this special place. We don't need to go on this pilgrimage. We don't need to go to Jerusalem today, though it is awesome and I would recommend it to everyone. But we don't need those things because we carry the living God everywhere that we go. What would happen? I know I've asked this or a variation of this often, already a lot today. But what would happen if City Life, if we lived as a community with one another like Jesus was real, and that he really told us to be broken and vulnerable with one another? That he said, you know what, he's not going to fuel or help our fake religion, that if the Holy Spirit leaves our church, that we shouldn't just do church as normal, or that we shouldn't be a couple of years down the road and be like, oh, where did he go? When did he leave? But that for you and for me, that God can breathe passion and life in our prayer, in our lives, in the way that we treat one another, in the way that we forgive one another, the way that we go after the gospel together. If only we got that, you know, Jersey City wouldn't be safe against us. I love our church. I really, really do. I am passionate about city life. But I never want us to settle for anything less than our true king. Anything less but living lives that show everyone that what we really believe in and that we see miracles happening, that we see demons casted out and that we see all of these things, even over Zoom calls, that our hearts would pour out with one another that we would experience the Holy Spirit in everything that he has to offer for our community. Man, let's never settle for anything less. For your life as an individual, for mine, for my family, over my church, let us, let us not settle. Jesus doesn't feed our faith when we settle. He is kind and he is patient. And he, the process of sanctification will take beyond our lifetime here. But church, let's never settle for anything less than what this living God has to offer. Now, I, I want to I pray this benediction over us this week. It is my favorite. It comes out of numbers. If you just receive this, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon, shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would be with us, Lord. Help us process this life and what it actually looks like to be 100% passionate and committed to you and what you're doing. Lord, we want to serve you. Help us to know how to do that. Lord, we want to live our lives. We want to pray like we actually believe. Lord, if our hearts have fallen asleep, Jesus, please wake them up. Do whatever you need to do to wake us up, Lord. Wake up the church in this quarantine so that when we are lifted from this, that we can go after you. Lord, we pray that your will would happen over the course of our church, over our lives, and not our own. Lord, please bless us this morning. Please help us to get on this Zoom call and share communion and remember what you did for us. How you took us from a place of death and darkness and you brought us into light and life. And so Lord, we love you. We commit ourselves to you.
pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, City Life, let's get on this Zoom call together. And let's take communion and remember that there was this man who came and that he was also God and he gave us access to God. That we don't need to go here or there, but that we can speak to him and that he hears us. So let's go, let's go on this Zoom call and uh, take communion with one another and answer some questions. The first question is quite simple. It comes straight out of our passage today. It's who do you need to forgive? We talked about not settling. Let's not settle for anything less than 100% of what God has to offer. And in his word here today, clearly, he says that whenever we pray, whenever we stand to pray, forgive so that we can be forgiven. Who do we need to forgive today? Um, let's take tangible steps to actually forgive that person. Prompt number two. How would city life be different if we prayed with this type of certainty? How would our church look differently if we actually did everything wholeheartedly, passionately for our God? I love our church, but let's not settle. Let's go after God and all of the things that he has for us. All right, we'll see you soon. Love you all.